0: Welcome back to Change Cultivators. Today, my co-host and I, Patrick Fitzmaurice, are here with John Heidek, ex-COO and CTO of Tata Communications. Welcome, John.
1: Oh, thank you, guys. It's good to be here.
0: Great. John, well, we're looking forward to discussing positioning of a company to adapt to fast-paced and constant change with you. Um, John, you are a seasoned uh, expert in business leadership and managing change over the years and we're looking forward to really unpacking with you, you know, your view on the industry and, and how you're seeing things in terms of change, you know, not in the lo- only the last six months but over the last few years. Um, so John, to kick it off, I'd be interested in just hearing what you think the, the three biggest disruptors are going to be over the next one to three years, you know, in terms of change. Looking back, at what we've seen, but also looking ahead, what we need to be prepared for.
1: Well, I don't know whether I could give you three or not, Ross, but I'll definitely probably give you one. And that's just going to be, I think all businesses are going to be challenged by constant change and and significant change. I mean, I remember back when, you know, unfortunately showing my age a little bit, but you know, through the late '90s or the early 2000s, until like probably around 2007, eight, I'd probably put it. There was a certain there. There was always a level of change in, in a company, you know, new product launches, new initiatives. But they took, you know, what would be a couple, few year type cycles. And same way with some of the the projects and some of the major organization changes that that, that come. But then, you know, the, the underlying technologies advanced a lot. And by technologies, I'd probably say, you know, a bunch of the platforms that got out there. Uh, and I'm going to speak a little bit more uh, from the technical side. But when you look at, you know, some of those major themes of, you know, cloud computing, and then with that, you can get infrastructure on demand. And then a bunch of companies put software on top of that. Right. And then not just specific software anymore, but they took the, the view of, I'm going to build a platform. So, you know, from a, a customer relationship management perspective, you have Salesforce, Microsoft have products, Oracle's uh, suite of uh, capabilities, where you can go and configure many, many, many things. So, you know, what used to take a year or two to roll out now can be done in months. Okay. And there are many, many companies now. If you look at like the HR systems, the, the, the billing and the financial systems, the overall capabilities to do your CRMs, there are many pieces of software out there that you can basically spin up in a matter of hours and days, configure it, right? And then if you want, you can have a, a small team of developers to do Specific customizations on top of that, but what it provides you is a wealth of things that you can try, experiment with, and then roll out and service your customers in exceptionally short timeframes. We're talking, you know, 30 days, 60 day release cycles, quarterly re- the release cycles. In fact, you can probably spin code features and other things for a business now faster than either your customers can take it or your employees can adapt to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's significant.
0: And John, is this because of um, the change is so fast, so you need new things all the time, or has this been because you need to try a lot of things, you're not sure what's going to work, so you need the flexibility to have the options?
1: Well, I think it's some of both. I think you know on some of these product companies, they got smarter about change management, parameterizing their software, or you know, building as many options into it as they can to make it flexible and extensible. That way, you can essentially build it once and then use it many times. So, that initial investment you put in as a company into that software, if you toll that many, you know, if you get two or three decent use cases out of it or four or five decent use cases out of it versus having basically one use case, you get a lot better return on your investment. So, you know, ultimately that, and then secondly, you know, as each building block is there, you don't need people spending time putting in infrastructure anymore. Like you can just go to one of the big players and just get, you don't have to worry about it. You're like, when you're building a website now, geez, there's many companies out there now. Right. You don't you don't need to know and and put out the actual hardware and then do all the IP configuration and get your DNS and all that stuff. You can go and you know, with a credit card and I don't know, 20 clicks or 30 clicks yeah. plus some photos and the other stuff. You can be up and running, including with payment systems. So you can take your resources and really spend them on what's going to differentiate you as a, as a company, if you will. Right. But that also believes, but also in, in what's significant about that is, right. If if you don't take on basically digitizing your, your company, you, if your competitors do, you're never going to be able to keep up with the pace of, the pace of change that they can produce.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating that you talk about it that way, uh, John, because it, the way you're describing it to me is the, the, the way I can deploy. Technology tools and software tools and digital tools is a totally different methodology than, and, and I'll date myself too, right. Um, then years ago, you would plan for big scale mainframe based, you know, infrastructure systems. And today, the way I hear you saying that is, you know, Technology deployment is can be so much more rapid and agile in way to do it. And you don't have to have these massive scale things. You can be much more nimble and frankly, your competitors can get in the game because costs and barriers to entry are so much smaller. So um, that's just such a challenge for organizations. And you mentioned the human piece of it, right? That I can apply and deploy new technologies faster than I can get my human people, my human capital to adapt to it. And I, I'm really fascinated, like how you connect the dots between Technology deployment to human development, talent development, to be able to work in this much more quickly paced environment. Any key learnings that you've had from that, as you've seen in your career, as you've driven this new technology adoption?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I can boil it down to kind of like two things, uh, which are which is exceptionally um, they're kind of like competing against, you know, trying to get the most out of your employees too. Um, if you look at it from You know, the employee perspective, or okay, let me start with the manager perspective first, right? You want to get a high level of productivity out of your employees. So, you know, giving them, you know, having them spend a lot of hours on your work tasks is how you, and assuming that employee is pretty productive, is how you end-to-end drive out deliverables and overall make sure that there's the company's making steps forward in accomplishing projects. In this world of change You know, in some cases, some of those projects have become a little simpler because, again, they don't need the necessary expertise. I don't need to maybe spin up this set of hardware or I can buy software that I don't now have to code up myself and I can just like, you know, configure it. That'll free up an employee's time. And I think as a manager, what you need to do for that employee is you need to really watch how much time they're working on their projects and driving the company forward and how much time they're dedicating to constant learning about what's coming new or experimenting on new things. And it's those two other areas where they don't necessarily have a direct, a direct linkage to productivity and some of the, the standard metrics a manager would look at. But it gives that employee time to say, oh, I've learned two new, you know, I've scanned this market and I've learned about two new companies that develop software. So I'm aware of these two new things. Or I spend a little bit of time messing around with some of the newer programming languages out there, Python or some of the other pieces, where they can then feel a little bit more at ease that they're staying current. Yeah. Okay. And that helps them from an overall mindset perspective.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a great comment. And um, you know, maybe speak to the end users of all of these tools, right? So all these software tools are empowering some line person, right? So a salesperson using Salesforce, for instance, or um, you know, some kind of HR business partner in an organization who has to be able to use a whole new HR system tool. You know, end user adoption is clearly um, a challenge in a fast-paced world where the technology and digital application might be changing on them any any key learnings as you you from the technology side have have kind of gotten in your career to say this is how you keep end users of your software services kind of keeping current and actually empowering them to be more productive in their roles
1: yeah sure from an end user adoption perspective i'd say having a a really really strict focus on feature creep because you know, and you can go through real world examples on how many, I mean, geez, uh, how many features or how many settings are on your phone and, and, and out of that set, right. Let's say just, let's just use a base case of a hundred. What do you mess with? 10, 11, maybe 15 of them. Right. So So that means 85 of them are there that somebody had to do maintain and probably for good reason over some period of time, but expecting a user to know about all of them and then effectively use them. So I would say when you're in that mode from like a user adoption point of view, you really got to put yourself in the user's shoes, understand what they're doing, what their pain points are, and provide that minimal set of feature functionality that does that and does that well for them and continually advance that and not worry about building the other long tail of features that, yeah, out of 100 users, maybe three of them might be interested or seven of them might be interested. But in the end, it's just going to complicate your software, cost you more maintenance. And the harder and more difficult or more feature laden some of these things are, the more difficult it is for is is going to be for you to bring users along.
2: Yeah, thanks Thanks for that. I I love it, right? It's this notion of the technology can almost do anything. The user experience dictates actually what we have to do, right? And so in this time of really disruptive change where the technology, frankly, could be helping to do so many more things than it can because of everything you said, it's still about the user experience and delivering actually that what that user experience really needs to be and not overwhelming them with uh, too much of the frankly flashbang of what the technology can do. I think that's really, really a powerful takeaway for that. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Sure. And and it's easy to fall into that trap too, right? Because if you don't do if you don't do the work and you don't know your user and how and how they, they are doing their job, then you you take a little bit more of an approach and you know, the typical product manager wants to do a solid job. So hey, if if I don't know that in detail, I'm gonna hedge my bet a little bit and I'm gonna build everything and I'll see what sticks. Right and that can get to be it's expensive on all ends. Very cool. Very
0: cool. Yeah. Thank you. So John, that's it's a very interesting uh, angle because it's so multifaceted. You know, you're talking about the software, you know, and the end user in this instance is correct me if I'm wrong, it's your internal team, your managers, your your teams leading, you know, the the work within the the businesses. On that point, how are you seeing hiring changing? Because in the past, as you mentioned, a lot of these skills, you needed to hire the people in-house that needed this really deep skill set. Now you've got, you know, you're looking at different people that you are procuring, you know, external software into the business. So are you seeing your... Um frame of reference changing in terms of the type of people you need to hire because of the the tools that are out there. you know, are they needing and and again, you know, we're moving into a digital world. so by default, you need more digital people, but then on the other side of it, a lot of the digital development is now being done by third parties. So what are you seeing in that area?
1: Well, I mean, I definitely think um hiring is still, mainly driven by the requirements of the position. And I think that'll still continue, right? Um, on the technical arenas and the other stuff, I can see, you know, maybe an expanded job description of a few a few new languages that you could like then tick box or maybe as, as different infrastructure providers or more popular software packages get out there, the capability to use X. But at its core, I still think you're going to be looking for the smartest, and in a way fearless candidates that you can find that aren't afraid to change because in some cases the companies if they do a solid job the software is going to be easy to use and then it's just a matter of you taking a certain amount of time to learn the thing and that's what gets back to when I talked about making sure you're not filling up an employees 40 or 50 hours a week just driving just driving future company deliverables but this notion of like uh, you know making sure you're your your people do one week a year, two weeks a year worth of training. I think that I think that needs that 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 needs to adapt and you need to be able to provide more hours to allow people to experiment with the new things that are available or to do their little own, you know, small mini experiments or projects that really don't don't have a definitive criteria as why the company's taking that on because you never know from an innovation perspective what that might spark or what that might do now not all of them are going to come to fruition but if you manage your people's time where they can they can get to do some of those things you're going to end up with a more satisfied employee too from a from a hiring perspective the the, the strict job description and maybe some of the some of the pieces and some of the items are going to differ a little bit in that job description but I think that process will still will still go through. I think interviewers or the better the better companies that adapt faster will probably drive their interviewing process to figure out, okay, who who has learned more in the past two years at their job, who has experimented more, and who's maybe better set to adapt to change.
0: I think for a different skill set, a different mindset, I suppose, more than, skill set it's that mindset that hunger that that, you know ability to learn new things and not stick into their lane that this is my job and this is all I do it's like how do I take you know I I look at your time at Tata Communications I mean you were there for I think just over 12 years and you managed a team of you know over 2,000 people Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure you sit now going you know the people the the you know, to your point, the way I interviewed four years ago is very different to how I would be looking at a new candidate now, given, you know, the the change and the the digital transformation and just the different world we're operating in now.
1: Oh, exactly. And then, you know, talk about, okay, so, the, you know, let's say, let's just go back to January of this year, just a short, I guess, five or six months ago, The that pace of change was hard enough, and now you lay on lay on the things that happened worldwide with this pandemic, okay? And now you can't get employees in commercial office spaces. You got socially distanced. What's that mean to your workforce? How do they get access to the information that they need in order to do their job when they can't get in the office, right? And this that happened. That happened in a few short weeks. No fault of the companies, right? It's not like they, they did something in that, but the, the companies that are going to survive and then ultimately gain market share and then survive longer are going to be the ones that can adapt the fastest to that new change. And the more digital they were going in, I guarantee you they're going to they're going to be more digital coming out.
0: Yeah. And this is a topic, Patrick, and I love talking about is, you know, the overused phrase of the the new normal, you know, it's something uh, that really also drove us to, to, to launch this podcast is the, the, the change is just so fast. And as you say, you know, we thought change was so prevalent in January, but we're just sitting in a totally different world and, Leaders now are having to manage so many different things. You know, one of them is I need to keep my team happy. So, you know, a key leadership trait right now has become empathy. You know, I've got a team that's living through a huge deal of uncertainty and it's across the world. But then, you know, a CEO has got to wear multiple hats, which is I've got to look after my team because that's going to be a big problem you know, if my team aren't feeling secure and, and stable in their job. But then, as you say, people aren't even coming into the office now. So not only is a, a leader having to manage, you know, his, the revenue, they're having to manage emotions a lot more with people. And they're also having to manage uh, revising their business model quickly with with very, very remote teams. And I know remote working has been around for a long time, but this takes it to a whole new level um, and I wanted to just, you know, go back to your experience. You know, you've, you've um, led a number of roles. You've been a business leader in in COO, you know, CTO roles. You've been a strategic business partner to a lot of uh, businesses. You've also been an investor and you've been a board member. So, you know, you've worn, let's say, you know, four different hats throughout the, the time of your career and sometimes all four at the same time, how, how do you especially now with you know the last six months um and going into the future how do you manage the change process across these different groups and different agendas because obviously all of them are looking for different things so your role has become even more complex given you know you've got different agendas and the pace is just getting faster and faster yeah and
1: again i think Providing focus where you can, I think is one of those raws. And then you know, that's applicable not just speaking to software, but your what you really wanna focus on and spend money and resources on, which which lies into kind of like your strategy. And 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 the more you you know drive and simplify that and really, really intimately know what your customers are so then you can make sure you spend money on the things that they see the most value from, okay, and, and, and make sure you're just continually relentless at that. I think that's a way to help narrow your eyes and then narrow the field of vision a little bit to where, you know, your employee base can get it, understand it, and then, continually not feel overwhelmed and move yeah. the ball forward
2: it, it's a really good point and you know ros ros makes a, a really good observation right you've been a senior exec in 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 lots of seats and helping to drive organizational change not just technology change but organizational change you know, our listeners kind of come and they want to grab onto some nuggets, right? Of like, what made, what made you tick and what made you successful at that? So I don't know if there's one or two observations that you would coach a listener, if you're speaking to them out there and say, look, this is what made me good or great, frankly, at really helping drive organizational change, probably through the adoption and the deployment of some technology, digital solution. Is there, is there something that you said, you know, this is actually a key to success for me, or was there some book or some resource that you went to? Cause people don't learn how to be change activators in, University, they, they have to figure it out on the job sometimes. So I'm kind of looking—is there any tip or trick that you would have for a listener that said, you know, this is what made it work for me as I've been successful in my career doing
1: that? I've I've read my share of management books. Uh, <laughs> were, I don't want to uh, I don't want to disparage them. I've learned I've learned a, I've er, learned pieces from many of them, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say that there is like, hey, here is the one maybe one or two items that I've continually tried to do in my career that helped make make me make me successful in the things that I took on. I always tried to, when when presented with the job, to identify kind of like, okay, what are the set of must-haves or what are the set of things that that absolutely are mission critical that must be done, that must be done well, okay, and how do you make sure you go about doing them and shoring those up? Okay. In a lot of cases, you have management teams and a CEO or board members who like activity. Okay. But I think it's it's easy to get lost in, you know, a lot of activity that doesn't really lead to progress on deliverables and then moving the company forward. So, you know, the, the first step is you know, I always tried to question and come up with, okay, if I, if I only had to do, and there, there's no there's no set number. Sometimes it's six, maybe it'd be four, sometimes it's two. What are the critical things that, y- you know, you in your position, in that position needs? What are the mission critical ones that you need to do that if you don't do, the, you're the going to severely harm the company or the organization you're currently in and working on? and and get that focus right okay and then then it comes down to you're always going to have a stream of other things somebody asking for x you know a new initiative coming through the company this that and the other stuff you know you need you know you need to pay attention to those things sometimes but the level of the level the amount of people and the amount of time and effort you spend on them that's a little bit more controllable than i think people people think about So to me, it comes down to a lot about focus because again, you know, I drive it into focus. And then the second piece is, you know, from a manager's perspective, ensuring there's always execution. It's easy. It's easy to get into management and you, you list out here's 19 things I've done, or here's 27 things I've done, but it's like, okay, congratulations. Are we any better for those 19 or 27 things?
2: I, I love that the, th- the three words that you just made me kind of scribble on my pad as I'm kind of listening to you share such nuggets is, um, you know, it's focus, executing a good focus and making sure they're driving the impact that you want. Right. So it's focus, execution and impact. Um, and particularly in the technology world. Um, People lose sight of that because, again, back to what you said earlier, technology can do almost anything now. But towards what end? And how do you choose where where to where to focus the efforts most from a technology application standpoint? And I, I think that's a really good kind of a collection of nuggets there that um, can really kind of make some sense of the overwhelmingness sometimes that people feel about the digital tools that are available. So thank you for that.
0: John, so you are, you know, often described by your colleagues as... a the voice of reason and a very rational person. And just talking, uh, you know, on this this point a little bit further, you know, this focus, it's very hard to keep a large group of people with very different agendas focused all the time. So how have you throughout the, the stretch of your career managed to lead people through this change you know how do you take the teams along with you in terms of keeping this focus you know and as you say the focus is even more now have you got any you know sort of advice you know how to really touch on that that human element of taking your people along the journey
1: well, I mean, for, you know, I generally, for a large organization, like in some of the ones I ran, you, you're never going to be able, there's just not enough hours, hours and minutes in a day to get to everybody. Okay, so you're going to rely on your manager. So you got to be very, very careful in, you know, what people, what strengths they have, and what roles you put them in. Okay, so I would start with kind of like, I guess, a, you know, do you have the right org design? And then do you have the right people in the right roles? Okay. once you once you do that, you know, I mainly focused on, let's say, the top I'll say the top two and a half levels of my organization, my direct reports, their direct reports, and then, you know, a a set of folks below them. Those are the people that I could, through the course of a normal work week, interact with on a decent basis to keep keep reiterating, Okay, hey, what are the goals for the organization? are we making progress every day are we driving are we driving our strategy and and then i'd rely on those people okay i'd make sure i do a very very good job on defining the what what needs to get done give them the flexibility on the how right and then work with the managers for them to develop the how because i think it's probably another area of management that gets a little uh short change right it's it maybe not at a first level man well yeah even a first level manager right how you do your job is just as important as what you do and in some cases with your people looking and especially it's worse so as an executive or harder as an executive i would say how you do your job is a lot more important than sometimes what you do Mm -hmm. okay because you have everybody looking at what character do you show, how you deal with adversity, how you treat people. So, you know, again, making sure for me, it would be focusing on the top two and a half layers of my organization, making sure the what is really well as, as defined as it can be, giving them the flexibility on how they go about accomplishing those goals. And then also making sure that, how they do their job is, is like a best in class. Like it's the kind of, you know, when you think back, when a person thinks back over their career, pretty much to pretty much everybody who's spent any time in any kind of career can think of, Hey, these are the one or the two best people I've ever worked for.
2: Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to your what, cause I'm fascinated by like, like what to focus on. And, you know, some of our listeners are clearly going to be you know more senior execs who actually have to chart that future right of where to go and you know your space of technology fascinates me because there are a lot of execs who are not technology focused execs but they're executives who have to kind of map the, the the future two or three years out and frankly many of them get overwhelmed with the technology aspect of it because they can't make sense of it along the way um you know as you as you frame up that what is there is there and you look out at all of the disruption that's happening is there something that you yet you have right that said you know this is how i used to create the what and create the focus because there's so much disruption as an exec has forced to look, you know, a year and two and three years out and they'll say, well, technology will be able to do this or, you know, our consumers will require this or our business operations people will be able to work this way. How do you get that what crystal clear given the pace of change, the pace of disruption that's happening?
1: I guess, knowledge of your business and asking the right questions. So I would probably caution folks, especially in today's day and age, it's necessary in the discipline to go through kind of like a planning process. So I I totally buy into that and it makes sense. Okay. But the usefulness of that plan for the short term is higher. On the long-term side, it's not the the process, the planning, the things you need to think about when you're doing your process of, okay, what do you need to get done? How do you continue to drive differentiation? How do you make sure your company is still moving forward? That has to be done, but you're going to build in so many assumptions on what the world's going to look like in three years. It's not really a whole lot of value, but in that first year, that first year it will be, okay? And you execute according to that. And then but I say like ask the right questions, I would say. And, you know, I, I, I use this a lot, especially on, you know, features and software or, or product capabilities. In some cases, I'd ask the question of, would my customer ever be upset if the software was easy to use? Of course not. So right. investing money in ease of use and making sure it, it, it's clutter-free and the, 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 the true features kind of like stand out in it is a good investment area. Or if you, like let me put it in the retail landscape, if you're, uh, let's say you're running a, uh, an e-commerce business or if you're, you know, a Walmart or a Costco or like Amazon, if would you be upset if they invested in an area where they got any product you needed delivered to you within instead of two days it's two hours and then that goes to 30 minutes i'm not saying that's possible but i guess what i'm saying is money invested in that would right. always give you a competitive advantage
2: yeah i i love it and again you're tying back to that user experience right users expect a different experience and technology and deliver it i've got one more quick question and then i know i know ross has a couple of dig into um who's getting it right like is there one company or example that you kind of look at as you, because, I mean, you're a student of the industry in so many ways, right? Is there one company or example you go, this company is really getting it from an understanding the disruption, guiding in the right direction. Is there somebody you would hold up as like a beacon of best in class out there right now?
1: Or I could give you a list of uh, a couple few decent software companies that I think are really like well positioned, given the latest change with this, uh, you know, massive move to remote workforce, et cetera. But I think that had to, a little bit more so due to the circumstance and their prior investment in the, in the space versus, let's just call it an active management decision. Okay, so um, I think the companies that are going to be well positioned to do exceptionally well going forward are the ones that are already down a decent sized part of their di- digital journey, have been an a solid adopter of like multiple remote teams or, you know, geographic dispersed workforce because you know, hey I think on some of the types of problems you're going to start to solve as a manager, like if you're particularly trying to, you know, innovate or create something, doing that in a remote environment, I think is going to be hard. Okay. But, but, when, you, when you're in a larger business and you have a product set that's big and can scale and and you have a set of people behind that, then managing a remote workforce is a little more difficult. But if you have the tools necessary, I think it's a very achievable and easy problem. Some companies have, have made that investment and started down that path, and now they're going to be well positioned to accelerate that. Other companies are going to struggle to get over that hump.
2: Yeah, cool. Very cool, right? You, I mean, there's there's people who are going to have to play catch up, right? They they just haven't been out there and they haven't gotten ahead of it. And you know, there's you know, the old the old adage from years ago: first mover advantage. You get out there and it gives you a competitive advantage. So thank you for that. That's very very instructive. Thank you.
0: Yeah, John, you speak you you know you've covered a lot on on the digital platforms in terms of of software. And I just with my brand and communications hat on. Um, you know, as we close, I just want to pivot uh, to a more softer angle on, on the digital side of things, and that is social media. As a business leader, I'd be interested in, uh, you know, what you see the role of social media playing in change management today. And when I talk about social media, I'm talking about obviously internal social media with staff, but then also externally, because a lot of business leaders I work with, you know, they've got a view that you know that's for the rest of the team. You know, as a CEO or as a management board member, that's not really something, you know, I need to do. Um, and if you look at, you know, a lot of the stats that are out there and and even, you know, a lot of the Gartner predictions and all that sort of thing, you know, it's widely documented that 45% of a company's market value is attributed to the CEO's reputation. Not only the CEO's reputation, but also the management team of that company. So I would just be interested in your view, you know, as a, as a very senior business leader on whether you feel that level of the business should be involved with social. And if so, wow. If, if not, why not?
1: Well, I mean, I think that um, definitely social media is, is, a, is a very powerful tool. And I think that like all the executives of the company should use the tool to better and more effectively communicate directly with the staff. Okay, so like you know, those platforms definitely would allow you. Like I could, I could, you know, if you will, at least it was it. It wasn't a dialogue; it was a little bit more of a monologue. Mm -hmm. But I communicate to all 2,100 of my employees via social media tools. Okay, and I think you know, uh, a leader who does that can continually convey, reinforce what's important to. Drive the company forward and continually reinforce, kind of like the strategy and, and what needs to get done. So I, I think that should ultimately always be done from um, from a from, an, from a, a management level within the company. And, and the platforms and the tools exist. And you know anybody who's not doing that, I think, is definitely losing out on employee engagement. Then taking it another step further, social media from your customer point of view, I think is another thing that you know the, the, the executive and the management team definitely need to pay attention to. Again, that comes down to what are your customers saying about you online? How do you monitor that? How do you influence that? And how do you make sure that that image or that brand or that reputation that you want to convey or you want to be known for is getting airtime on the platform? Okay, and I'd probably say it has to, and it's important to do that. Even if you're like mainly focused on enterprise, I think the numbers will be smaller, but it's definitely going to be almost. It's going to be even more critical, in my opinion, if you have a business-to-consumer type company where you're dealing with hundreds of thousands or millions of uh, individuals. You'll be able to utilize those platforms to solicit feedback on how well your services or offerings are being perceived, what problems or issues they are, and then also ferret out and figure out like in some cases you know there's always going to be you know a few maybe disgruntled people who have purchased the services and getting your operations team to either understand what that is and either drive that back as future change or fix it or you know accept it as a mismatch on you know hey the customer kind of bought something that you know the service or the feature wasn't really sure. intended to do and that particular piece is you know the company's okay with how that transaction went.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: interesting. Yeah, cuz it's it's so again it's so multidimensional now with digital because you can be driving change or you can be driving a message internally to your staff. You know, but if externally there's a whole other world of conversation and, and reputational issues going on, your staff is steaming inside and, ex- uh, you know, outside. And the market is obviously very focused on what's being said outside. So, you know, I think um, leaders have a very uh, – broad um, area of of responsibility to keep their feelers on now, you know, especially in this digital world, as you say, you know, it's platforms, but it's also the reputation, the conversation that's going on. It's the perception of the business that is often something, you know, if you're not all over, you need to control your reputation or the market will control it for you, you know, which will really make any change management, um, you know, or change activation a very difficult task for a leader.
1: Yeah, that, I think that that that's all true, Roz. I mean, again, the feedbacks kind of like you know, social media pro- provides another uh, you know, a whole a whole set of you know, a lot of positives and sometimes you know, negative things that you you know that can come in too. And in getting back to your earlier question too, where you talked about you know the view of the the CEO or some of the management team, and again, I think an, an executive today needs to be in a position to make sure that. They're absolutely relentless on how they do their job and, and what they want to be known for, whether or not it's, hey, we're a green company and everything we do is about, you know, making sure our infrastructure enables whatever product and service they provide to be sustainable, make the earth a better place and 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 continue that, that mantra. And then back that up with actions and then use social media and that platform as a mechanism to constantly grow that known perception within their their customer base.
0: We're definitely seeing, you know, particularly over the last few years, and, and obviously this is a lot of work Patrick and I do as well as sort of guiding the leadership team is that, you know, those leaders that are the most vocal, the most communicative, you know, those leaders that are seen to be open and transparent are definitely the leaders that are getting the best buy-in from their teams, you know, and a lot of the time, you know, the staff are seeing what the leadership is doing in a press article, in an interview, in their activities online, you know, so it is becoming more and more important for, for leadership and management, I think, to be to be more communicative, which I don't think uh, a lot of people find natural. But I think in this era of fast-paced change, it is uh, becoming an absolute necessity.
2: Yeah, I think my only add to that is this notion of change communications is critical, right? You need to have an ongoing way to communicate and inform people. And that's where I think the technology is so important, your social tools and your internal corporate communication tools. Uh, the old way was you could just declare it and let it sit there and people would acknowledge it. The, the the disruption and change requires ongoing, ongoing ways to kind of communicate value. And as you said, Roz, I love that point. If you don't do it, somebody's either going to be confused or they're going to create a message that you may not like. So uh, I, thanks for sharing that, John. That was a really, really great, the great nugget to take away from that part of the discussion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And just one more thing's coming to mind as we close, John is, uh, uh, you and I have a, a mutual colleague uh, who's a, is a leader in the business and I, really it hit home for me you know um, what CEOs are having to deal with now where he said the other day he was on an all-hands call was you know thousands of his staff and he, he thought he did a great job um, on the call um, but you know on the social media platforms after the call the 90% of the conversation was why did he have a plastic water bottle on his desk because <laughs> you should not be, you know, you should not be polluting the earth with plastic. So it's just really <laughs> showing, I think, the, the, the spotlight um, on, as you say, the softer elements around leadership, um, which is, are you environmentally friendly? Are you being responsible? Are you being transparent in all these things? So, John, thank you. That was a great conversation. We really, really enjoyed having you um, on Change Cultivators with us today. Um, And to our listeners, uh, if you want to find out more about John, you can go to changecultivators.com. And we look forward to having you join us for our next uh, podcast, where we will be having Glenn Caruso from Adobe as our next guest. So look forward to connecting with you again.